Welcome, film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast, brought to you by Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Join us on a journey behind the camera, and most importantly, beyond what we know about film and the craft of filmmaking. So sit tight, grab some popcorn and soda, and let's go ride on Cinema Pathway. The term filmmaker can be pretty broadly defined. I think everyone has their own definition of what a filmmaker is. It could be one person running around with an iPhone making a little film to an independent writer-director who produces their own short films or even the long list of accomplished directors who put out multi-million dollar films, manage crews in the thousands of of people. Like other topics here on the podcast, there really is no one-size-fits-all definition of what or who is a filmmaker. So on today's episode, we really want to dig into that help our listeners get a better understanding of what it means to truly be an independent filmmaker. And to do that, we have a wonderful guest, a Miami-based filmmaker. Please welcome Lex Lowry. Lex, thank you for being here today. We're happy to have you. Thank you for having me, Howie. So let's begin talking a little bit about your background. Uh, You're a self-described thoroughbred Miamian, which is a great term I never heard before. You were an accomplished (laughs) thespian in high school, and you eventually made the switch to being behind the camera. Take us on a little journey back to how you started in acting and eventually made the switch to behind the camera. I want to touch upon a thoroughbred. That was just my attempt at creative writing. <laughs> it <laughs> so was. A, oh, thanks. <laughs> but yeah, man, um, theater, I started back in uh, high school. I don't know if I would call it successful rather, but I did enjoy it. I did acting even in middle school, but only as an elective. Uh, I joined, I began going into it in high school, I would say going into 11th grade. And back then it was, uh, our troop was 1531. It was uh, Killian players. And so um, did a couple of plays there. Then we did a couple of competitions, which that was a new thing for me because my only idea of it was, you know, just getting a chance to perform like numerous amounts of plays, you know, throughout, you know, your high school career. But then I saw the whole other side of that. So there's competition that, you know, that does take place, whether it be monologue, whether it be ensembles, whether it be, you know, just, you know, regular dialogue plays that that would be put together. I can't remember a lot that I did at the top of my head. I can definitely say that throughout the years, those were enjoyable. Um, You got a chance. One of them I know right now, I just crossed paths with yesterday. His name is uh, Sterling Tribute and he's, you know, his bread and butter is theater. Um, And he and I were, you know, we're very close, man. And uh, we were kind of like a dynamic duo in a sense and he just made it more uh enjoyable um and then you have people like kyle freeman uh, who's up in new york right now um doing like making it big and he's an incredible singer uh so uh, essentially try to fast forward so after i graduated i don't know i, I guess i could put it as like i was kind of stuck to what it is that i wanted to do like because even though i liked acting i guess what I allowed to hinder myself was like, what was it? Is this a, a feasible path? Is this a um, something that, you know, if I really gears toward? So then what I did was my first major when I went to um, Miami-Dade uh, Community College, which right now is a four-year university, so MDC. And I'm proud to say that's a my alma mater. Uh, what I did was I selected a, uh, what you call it, sports medicine. Because tailoring back over to my high school, into high school, I was like very persistent um, in sports because basketball was my favorite sport. Like the, like what got me into it was doing weight. So from there, like I fell in love with the sport, still love the sports today, even though like there's certain particulars, like in terms of style of play, it's another side note. I made it on the team the first year, then throughout the like 10th grade, I got cut, then kept trying out. And pretty much from there, I made a decision to go between theater and basketball and I chose theater and rode that out again enjoyable time and then now going into mdc getting into sports medicine which i wasn't really attached to it you know i was trying to like uh, how can i put it like i didn't feel like that was a like motivate like motivate me it was like i was going through the motions so i kind of dialed back and really thought about okay what is it that i really want to do what is it that i really want to pursue and i then decided you know like because i like movies i don't know if i'm gonna do well or try to pursue like acting wise maybe let me see what it's like to you know be behind the camera and see you know what it takes to put these things together so then went forward and switched my major over to you know film and television and then once i got into the scdt program um i can say that it's uh it's the best decision that i made because it was uh my first uh professor uh, etch uh, we call her like professor etchy uh, she like i could say that she really like opened my eyes as to like what takes place and what like really how organized you have to be and like you know in terms of creating your shot list in terms of you know having you know 
having your storyboard, which your storyboard is going to be somewhat a, you know, a precursor to your shot list because, you know, it has all the images and, you know, of course you're going to create variations of that. And then from there, I can say that I... One thing I liked in terms of the creative process, I like, you know, writing, whether it was in theater or whether um, getting into film. So what I began doing was, you know, that was like kind of what I wanted to really focus. I would say the first course I had was with uh, where for screenwriting was Holly Anderson. And I can tell you, you know, if you're looking to be a, a a good screenwriter because that's where it starts before any movies get made um really try to and if you're a writer really try to hone that craft because it's all about structure and so i'm trying to fast forward because i know i can ramble <laughs> but <laughs> but just to fast forward so now i have uh i just finished a a documentary it's titled florida strange fruit and it got nominated at the urban film festival for best uh, film documentary and right now there are other projects um that i'm really trying to cultivate um, so really start from the ground up. I want to add on for Florida Strange Fruit, we're going to try to expand it from a short to a feature. Um, right now, I'm trying to create a Indiegogo page, get that set up. Other projects that I'm going to be working on is uh, Miami Cine Poetry. And then there's going to be a short narrative um, titled uh, Where's Mom? And Where's Mom is pretty much story. There's an article from uh, Miami Herald in regards to what happened over in Almonte Springs. And it's pretty much about this kid who finds, what you call it, an attempt to elevator pitch. He is looking for his mom. He's in search for his mother, but he later discovers that he played a role in her death. Oh, wow. So that's a... Uh one, thank you for taking us on on that journey. It's really like you touched on a lot of great points, a lot of things that are, are very relatable to winners and to to our listeners. And a lot of the stuff that you mentioned, we're, we're going to dig in through throughout the episode. So thank you for for teeing that up. Yeah, man. Want to go back back to a couple of things you said. I think I think one point you you made that I know more people who have experienced it than not is a lot of eighteen and nineteen year olds coming out of high school don't know what they want to do with their life. There's people in their 30s, 40s, 50s still still trying to figure that out. So me that ever back in high school was your theater was the arts program and the theater program a prominent part of high school? Was it something that was um, you know heavily invested in by the school, or was it more more of a side thought by the school in, in regards to you know providing opportunities there? I would say I didn't know about it until when I took uh, theater one in in high school, and uh, the teacher that I had was Mr. Ray. Shout out to Mr. Ray. Very cool, very chill, and he had seen me because he had seen me when we did our assignments, our dialogue assignments and stuff like that, he encouraged me to try out. And I would say in terms of the, um, in terms of uh, the theater program there, I wouldn't say it was like very prominent. It was just, I don't think it got a lot of light. It existed, but it didn't really get as much, you know, attention as other curriculums around. Like obviously sports was very heavy over at that school, football, basketball, um, baseball even. And of course you had, you would say I was like, from what I can remember, like student government was a very prominent, like focus. Cause I know anybody who was trying to get in and those were, believe it or not, those were people who were what you call quote unquote popular student, yeah. whether you're in student government, sports, you know, uh, like I would say theater wasn't like as prominent in high school, but it, but whenever we did have a performance, people did come up and show out because they were seeing, uh, you know, they were seeing their classmates perform. You know I mean, another, another great point you made, I think a lot of us, especially us as artists, you know, realize that the arts in, in high school, you know, are tend to be afterthoughts and that even I, I read an article Recently, I'm from I'm from the New York area, and up there, the LaGuardia School of Performing Arts, you know, fame mm-hmm. schools that even their enrollments have been way down recently over the years, and you know, because of that, mm-hmm. the school's in trouble. So it's uh, it's something that we as artists and advocates always want to encourage schools to invest in, do more of, give give students as many opportunities to explore, because a lot of us we're not. Me particular, a personal story, like not everyone's cut out for the classroom. Not everyone's future is going to be in math, science, English, writing, uh, or the, the type of writing they, they teach in school. So really, um, you know, whether it's theater, whether it's uh, the you know, physical arts, ceramics, pottery, uh, those type of things, industrial arts, all that is just such wonderful opportunities to expand the opportunities, I think, for, for students today. Um, and still kind of sticking with, with your high school one thing you said I'm fascinated about is the competitions. I've heard of them. I know they exist. I was never in one. And that, like you, I just performed uh, in school plays. You know, I did some community theater uh, when I was growing up, but never took part in competitions. Can you 
Can you describe those a little bit and how they work? Okay, well, from what I can remember, pretty much you there, I know there was a qualifying period. So you pretty much had, um, you had your one acts. We performed it over at Hialeah. And so all the theater groups that were in high school, um, such as like Coral Reef, you had Varela. You also had, which some of the competitions would take place over at Varela, uh, Varela Felix. And um, essentially what it was is that you can submit written pieces as well. Again, you can also perform monologues. You can also perform duets, ensembles. And so, and those take uh, prep and uh, a lot of preparation. My, my teacher, Mr. Ray, he wanted me to um, get into competition, but like for me, that wasn't really for me. I just wanted to perform for the enjoyment, not f- more so for the competitiveness. But at the same time, you know, I do see a benefit for it because, you know, you get a chance to go out. They have an event over at Tampa. I'm trying to remember the name, but though, like every year you can take whatever pieces that you performed and you can go over to Tampa and you have people that are there that are kind of like you have people that basketball scout and like go to schools. You have people there that have, you know, they're looking for actors to come into their theater program and be theater majors. So it's an opportunity for you to, you know, really expose your talent that was the so competitions um will you'll have uh districts and then you have things states oh wow so it, so it's no so no different like if you're in high school like in any high school sports you have your district champions and then you have your state championships and stuff like that that's really cool and and you know we talk a lot about we talk a lot on this podcast about people honing their craft people really putting the work in and i think actors anytime you get a chance to perform whether it's you know performing on stage for a play performing in a competition mm-hmm. you know entertaining guests, entertaining around the family dinner, Thanksgiving, uh, you should def- definitely take it and work on that. So now I want to fast forward today, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, really want to talk about what defines a filmmaker. You're a filmmaker. I'm a filmmaker. How do you describe yourself or how do you define yourself as a filmmaker? What makes you a filmmaker in your mind if you were describe, you know, meeting somebody for the first time and say, I'm a filmmaker. So what exactly does that mean? That's a, and that's a good thing that you say that because it is a very open-ended uh, phrase, but it's so many, there's so many moving parts. If you're somebody who works in, you know, let's just break it down to the departments. You know, you have your art department, you have a set deck, you have sound, you have, of course, your camera and you have, um, you have your locations. So whatever department that you're focusing in, and then of course your production office, just to add that in, whatever it is that you're focusing on, you are a key player and your job is, is as important as everything, you know, as everybody else's, because without those pieces, you know, your, your film wouldn't be able to be what it is. And when it helped to, you know, put it out there and get, you know, the recognition. For me, uh, filmmaking as, you know, it's more than just, you know, storytelling. Um, I guess because that's pre- it's visual storytelling, really, because when you really I mean, I can talk about this like, I mean, I can ramble about it all day. But, you know, for me, like we hold I see it as, you know, you holding a responsibility to give others like a vision, like showing what you put on screen as to something to you know aspire to. Like even like, but let's just break it down. Let's put it like as commercials. You get me? Like if I were to see like commercial for like Dwayne Wade, like we put out images that can, you know, spark a motivation. And at the same time, you know, we have a responsibility to, you know, show, you know, spread awareness, you know, even through documentaries, whether it be through history, whether it be whether it be through, you know, events that are currently happening, whether it be political, anything that has to do with our environment. For example, just recently I'm working with this uh, producer by the name of Paul McGuire. They're going to be returning for this November. We went over to uh, Fort Myers and we're basically centering around uh, algae blooms that are affecting the water. I can tell you like, and it's actually a major crisis issue because, you know, that all that uh, algae infested water that's affecting our drinking water. And it's also affecting, you know, the people from the Miccosukee tribe. It's those films that can actually, you know, they can be game changers to how, you know, we live our everyday lives. I take it as a, you know, responsibility to show a perspective because they say pictures worth a thousand words, but I would say, you know, a film or a movie can shape thousand perspectives. Like you have been through this whole show, you're bringing up such, such great points. You're bringing up a lot of things that we're going to dig into more, uh, you know, especially documentaries and really what's, what's the role of a documentarian. We learned there's different types. There's documentarians that are just really eye in the sky. They're just documenting it without being an objective observer. There's documentaries that want to spur action on that. So, so I'm excited to, to dig into that a little more about you. But, but speaking of, of documentaries 
and films and visual. Was there one film or there any films you saw that really inspired you, that really made you want to get into filmmaking, you know, especially around the time you switched from your first major to, to the film program? You're not the first to ask me that question. And I and here's the thing, I never really have an answer because the reason why is because you see all different genres, whether it be from, at least for me, my favorite genres are comedy, historical, whether it be fiction or nonfiction or like what they call biopics. I also like action occasionally. They're not my biggest thing. And I struggle with, you know, romance films. I don't know if that's a, a dude thing or not. I will say that if there's one film that I like and it was an ensemble, it's called, well, there's two, 10 Things, um, Ten Things I Hate About You, which was pretty much an adaptation for Taming of the Shrew from right. Shakespeare. And then you have He's Just Not That Into You. I would say, if you don't mind- this is fascinating. As it's great to listen to listeners out there. I hope you're enjoying listening to this as much as I am. Yeah, I'm just trying to stay on track. I know my mind can you know can wander. So yeah, so there's really there really isn't a film that can really pinpoint because here's another example. Um, uh, there's this film, historical film that came out in 2010 called uh, The Conspirator, and it's pretty much dating back to this is after the Civil War, after Lincoln's assassination. So pretty much uh, you have uh, James McAvoy's character. The name escapes me, but he essentially is trying to represent one of the people who were from the Confederates. And she is linked as a conspirator, but she really didn't have any part of it at all. And his uh, the lawyer, which he served in the military and was a lawyer and was representing her, he later discovers that she had nothing to do with it. He went from already have having a perception that, you know, you know, she's Confederate, obviously she's guilty, so on and so forth, and later discovering, no, she's not. Now I'm invested into helping her. And so um, that's one of my favorite films. In terms of when you get into uh, action, I like James Bond. Daniel Craig, because Dan Daniel Craig's, I would say, was more realistic. Like I had seen, um, I know you had ones with Sean Connery, and I don't know the others that came after. And then you had uh, at least the one that my mother likes, uh, Pierce Bronsman, who's like, uh, uh, what's the word for it? Suave. Yes. He was the suave yes. type. Because he was also in, um, what was it, Thomas's Crown Affair? Thomas, Thomas Crown, Crown Affair. Affair, which I like that film. And I watched that. One of my favorites. I watched that through uh, through my dad. Um, any matter of fact, I, I gotta appreciate you know, my father because anything that I did watch or got exposed to was him watching because he liked watching movies. So another film, like at least in regards to what you call it, ones that come out now, Antebellum. If you don't, if you haven't seen, it, I'm not sure which. Uh, I think you probably find it on Amazon. They had it once on Netflix, I think, but then they took it took it off. Check out that film. Pretty much, it deals with Antebellum slavery but it's not in the way that you think at all that i'm gonna leave it at that it's a great movie i mean there's so much more but like i can't really like put it on top of my head but those are the ones that you know stick out to me and that get me you know right so so what i'm hearing from you is you really you're really drawn to movies where the story is really the central thing we've talked on this podcast previously about how you know a lot of today's filmmakers you know i shouldn't say filmmakers hollywood today has really sacrificed story for spectacle and gotten away for that so that actually is a great segue to what we're going to talk about right after we take a quick break you are listening to the cinema pathway podcast we'll be right back back. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast. Again, I am joined today by filmmaker Lex Lowry. Lex, you've worn several different hats. You're a writer, you're a director, you're a producer. You mentioned earlier how there's a lot of structure involved, a lot of process. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about your process. You've kind of run the, the whole gamut. You write, start with an idea, I guess, and you write it, you know, and then you transform it as a director and you make it come to life as a producer. So let's, uh, let's dig into that. Starting with the writing, how does... Yeah, where do you get your ideas from, and then how do you how do you start the process? Uh, I would say research is the best thing that you can do. And what I want to really highlight is that, at least in terms of Miami and storytelling, a lot of, because that wouldn't be true, but it's not, you don't have a lot of people that write stories for, you know, that are from Miami. So what I try to do is find certain articles, mainly because I like reading articles, and you'll pretty much get a story out of that. Well, it is the story, pretty much. And what you're essentially doing is taking that and just to where what they call your creative license. Like for um, Where's Mom, um, the article that I got it from, um, from the Miami Herald, 
what I did was adapt it because it is a sad story because it's an ongoing case right now because essentially a person by the name of um, Viandre uh, Avery because like due to negligence he's right now like in jail as a, like as a result like he's like not able to see his kid so what I do with that is I adapted to that story and having a scene in there to have him see you know his child and where there's going to be some reconciliation for it it doesn't matter what it is that you're writing in or what subject matter that, or the premise of your story I would try to research a topic that it, that you that you can relate to or what you know the thing that you can go to is also write what you know like if you're familiar with your neighborhood and you're familiar with your culture write something about your culture because for me you know even though i'm african-american in this country like i wasn't raised you know with the same what would you call it and like engulfed in like the certain uh characteristics like around it because you know i have family that are from the caribbean and even with that i didn't really you know get myself you know acclimated culturally amongst my family i mean yeah we would come over to dinner and stuff like that but i didn't spend time enough to get all the nuances that you know you could pick up from when you watch film the only thing i could probably pick up for like if you're trying to create a character you know is like certain accents so like i'll give like an example for when you watch uh luke cage like one of the in season two there's a jamaican character who plays the antagonist i know how that can react because my dad's jamaican so I know how that is all immediately connecting to him. And he can actually depict like from what part of Jamaica he's from just based on the accent. So it's those details that you got to get familiar with. Definitely. And, and I'm glad you you mentioned culture because that's something I do want to talk about uh, coming around to it. And and I can definitely relate to you know your father seeing Jamaican. I'm, I'm a veteran. So whenever I see a veteran in films or see the military in, in films, it's always looking at it like, okay, that's off. That's wrong. That's not what they would say. That's not how it is. Uh, you know, especially the, the different branches, each have, each have a little different thing. So, so you've done your research, you come up, you now have your premise idea that you want to write about. Do you just open up final draft and start writing? Do you, you know, do some, uh, do you do an outline first? Do you try to figure out, you know, the different beats, figure out what scene one, two, and three is going to look like? Do you write some character biographies? That's the thing. Building a world is essential because this is the world that the, your audience is going to enter into. And along with character bios, you know, I've heard like different takes from other filmmakers that, you know, sometimes that where it is warranted and sometimes it's not warranted because they're focused on pretty much a story. If you have a strong premise and it's simple because... One of the things that Holly Anderson mentioned, again, shout out to Holly, you have to have simple, a simple story, complex characters. So as you're building these characters, like right now, just as a side note, I'm trying to do a feature, create a feature. I'm outlining a feature actually, but what I'm doing first is creating a world called the uh, high stakes. I pitched it once over, well not pitched it, but it was in screenwriting three where, you know, we had our, you know, outline tables and stuff like that. So I'm using that. And again, thanks to Holly for, you know, sending me the the template for it because it really helps you organize because once you know what you have from your first act from your second act from your third act it really you know it really binds everything together and you find the necessary pieces that are you know essential for it to make it captivating for the audience so uh for me you know organization is, organization is key and, and i would say that most importantly because i know for me i can tend to be just a bit disorder well not a bit more often than not disorganized most of us create are that that that's how we organize chaos yeah man is how is how we uh it's how we operate and and that's the thing that's the beauty of it because you know within that structure because sometimes what you already have on paper and all, and in dialogue you know you have to understand that those things will change like if i were to create the um you know where's mom now and let's say there's a certain location that i would like to get it's not available and they have this location i have to consider you know when you go on your location scout you got to see you know how it is you're going to do your light and setup and where's you know crew going to be where it how you're going to have everything stationed you know for for your sound to be for and including you know your um your makeup department uh hair and makeup your you know your art getting and that's the thing because once you you know pick that room you have to figure out your color scheme and that's something that including your writing and that's the thing that probably takes me like a long i wouldn't say long but it drags a bit like in my writing process because i'm fluttered with you know a lot of things that i'm thinking about what it's going to take and what it's going to cost because the minute like you give it to a producer and they read it they're already looking at okay uh, we're not gonna be able to get that because that costs too much or I don't, what's the likelihood of us securing this location and so on and so forth. 
You know what I mean? So uh, essentially for me, what I try to do, especially if I get into what they call a writer's block, you really, what I do is just, I just spitball, write it out and then construct it over time. And you'll begin to see, you may find like a certain dialogue that, you know, that you had first in mind that you wrote out and you'll structure it in a way where it's going to be not only believable, but also have that nice little punchline. Cause you don't want to drown. You don't want to drown your, not only your readers, but also the audience with, you know, dialogue. And that's the thing that I noticed with, um, mainly with, TV where like there's unnecessary, like, especially when you get to like, I'll give an example, like you have a show called uh, All American. It has a great storyline. Uh, for me, it's, um, and that's the thing, I'm a cheesy person. So, but I, and the irony is I hate cheesy dialogue. So I always try to make dialogue as there's a, like, I was looking up on Film Courage because that's where I pretty much get my motivation to write so anybody who wants to you know improve their writing it's a it's a uh, youtube page called film courage they started this about like what was it? i think six years ago probably just a little bit further than that and they really it really they really give you like all do's and don'ts you know all the other you know particulars and structures that will help you become a better writer and help you really give your script and your story you know the structure that it needs to hit all the major points and most importantly, like when you're writing, you want to make sure that is this scene, does this scene have an emotional impact? If it doesn't take it out because, you know, it has to move the story forward. And that's the thing with, and that ties in with dialogue. Does this dialogue have an intention, like an intent behind it? Because if it doesn't, then what's the point of it? I, you could describe that in action, rather have that in, you know, a back and forth. You get me a back and forth conversation. Exactly. And it's always, you know, for me, when, when I write as well, it's always really finding the balance and really the fine line between dialogue, including action, but not to the point where you're trying to, you know, unless you are the director, but really dictating to the director and camera person hundred percent what it, what it should be like. And it goes back to, to education. Personally, I, I started writing a screenplay probably 10 years before I actually ever went to film school, you know, I, I went to a free screenwriter. I'm like, oh, I have an idea. And I just started writing. And then once I once I started taking screenwriting classes, I understood how much more to it there is than, than just writing, really understanding, understanding in the beats. Um, you know, we, we've talked about the hero's journey. The story arcs are so, are so important that's on there. Um, two things that you, that you mentioned, you mentioned premise and you mentioned story. So a, a lot of our listeners maybe know what the difference is, but to those that are maybe first first time listeners or those just getting into industry, could you describe a little bit what the difference is between a premise and a story? I, I can probably put it in the best way that I can understand it. So your premise is pretty much how you, you know you have your elevator pitch, your log line, which is pretty much gonna either sell it to whoever you're trying to pitch your story to and who whoever is looking to like invest it can make you or break you so like you always want to understand uh like if your log line is within like at least what one to two sentences so what i would say is your premise is pretty much the your character's goal the story is pretty much the journey in which your character is get is making his way or her way towards that goal. So for for example, we were talking about James Bond during the break. So if we take the last James Bond movie, No Time to Die, uh, the premise is an old enemy resurfaces for James Bond that he has to come back into service at, at MI6. And then when you get to the story, it goes into detail how it starts out with him and Madeline at the beginning and they go to visit Vesper's grave and it blows up and actually the story gets more in, into detail. Um, that's on. Then from the story, do you create a treatment for that or do you usually go right into to developing uh, your outline and, and your screenplay? I do my outlines first and then from there I do a treatment. I For my narratives, I usually don't tend to even though it's advised that you should but because everybody has their different, you know, their processes as to how they construct their script. But, you know, I would just have it so that way it, because it really does help. Those things really just help, you know, keep you, you know, focused mm -hmm. and as your, as your guideline. I find treatments are great if you have maybe 70, like 50, to 75% of the story in your head and know what it's going to be, but you're not 100% sure on a lot of details, right? You're, you're able to kind of brain dump into the treatment. It helps you like write out the story more in a narrative form, you know, with some dialogue and, and can really then pull from that. And you also mentioned deconstructing 
And I think that's whether whether you're writing a screenplay or even if you're writing a document, something that I've I've learned to do is I'll have final draft open or I'll have word open, but then I'll have a second word, like a blank word document that's in there and I'll take a paragraph or that and I'll copy it. I will paste it into the blank document and then split it up. And from there, just looking at it by itself, you can, you you move stuff around and, and it makes sense. That's something that someone told me a long time ago and has really worked well. So as you, do you ever storyboard as you're writing? Do I ever storyboard as I'm writing? No. One, because when I do use, the cheap way that I usually do it is I'll try to find, there's this uh, website that I think people can use, 14-day free trial. It's called Shot Deck, so, which is very useful. You can build like certain scenes that, you know, they may not capture what you have in your head, but if it comes close to it, it's at least a blueprint. And what's good about it is that it already comes with all like it'll tell you like what shot type it is, what you know, it showed the what lens it was shot on, whether the scene was shot in day or night, has all the color palettes. So that way you as the director, you know what to communicate to your DP in terms of how you want the color scheme to look lighting wise. Interesting. Yeah. I uh, I become very good at stick figures, drawing stick figures. It, there's a lot of programs out and some of them, okay. it, uh, it yeah, becomes yeah, yeah. A, a time thing too. I, th- I think somebody once told me that you should be able to to sketch a uh, a storyboard for each shot in like 15 seconds per shot. Just really sketch it. And there's uh, there's people that you know, are just just great. That that's artists. I think in film school, I think it would be beneficial to throw some type of art class in learning how to how to draw storyboard boards to 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 do it quickly. Even um, we talked about how you started in film. Uh, actually, you know, loading eight millimeter film on that and now it now it's all digital. So with storyboarding, it's really one of really a lot of things in the art art direction side are still hand drawn, still developed. Yeah, that that's way. the thing, because for me, I wasn't um I'm not gonna say I'm a bad drawer. I just know for me because I can be particularly anal, it's gonna take me time. So as you mentioned earlier about, you know, there being like some, you know, time constraints that you have just to make things quicker. That's why, you know, I use certain pictures of, you know, what is it that I see and which shot it is that comes close to that. And yeah, just, just to add that piece of information. Do you find it easy, hard, or it depends on the situation when you you have a an idea in your head of what you want a shot to look like? You know, you've played it out in your head hundreds of times while you're writing it, and then you get on set, you're trying to light it, you're trying, but, but you just, is it hard to, to get that from your head into reality, or do you find that easy? For me, it's easier when you're doing... Um, interviews and documentary because you already have a style that you're going to use pretty much throughout now if you want to like take in like let's say if you want animation done into it then that kind of you would probably have to venture out into finding a certain artist style that can best communicate through through your audience as well as bringing probably something new like a new type of art style that probably no one's touched before so in regards to that process can i say this because i know sometimes i kind of go like go get lost off track i I think it comes out you you've mentioned communication a couple times i think communication is important especially you know when the uh the big three get together when the writer director and the yeah, dp yeah 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 cuz you want to cuz you know you as a person who's writing and also you know you have your shots you know, put together whether it be through a storyboard cuz is your template for shotless as well because and also when you're pitching to your um to whomever you're going to pitch it to those are the things that you're going to have to point out and those are with the what whoever is looking to be a part of the project they need to see it visually because that's the medium that we're in it's storytelling through images visual storytelling because think about this according to the american uh psychological association 90 percent of information we receive is visual so oh, you're constant, so so <laughs> yeah man so, con- so so constantly everything even if it's like to the smallest uh the smallest gesture that you can make it communicates something if you want to get like an extreme extreme close-up of that shot and if you plan on having that there how is that going to communicate to whoever you're pitching it to and how is that going to communicate to your um to your audience what's what the intention behind it when i was in film school one of my professors i can't remember who it was say you know find a movie that's critically acclaimed with great actors and watch it with no sound and just pay attention to the actors faces their eyes their gestures and you could really see what separates you know what? What makes a great actor great? Um, you know, I grew up, especially in the, the De Niro, Pacino era. Uh, heat. If you weren't alive back then, it, there's nothing relatable to the anticipation in 1995 of 
Pacino and De Niro being on the screen together for the first time. There was conspiracies that they actually weren't. It was filmed differently. And again, you just, you watch their facial gestures um, in that just the little things are are amazing. And so, you, so you've written your story, you've had your storyboard, you have your color palette that's on there. What's the next step? Do you do your own script breakdowns? Do you work with, with uh, you know, assistant directors or UPM? Or do you just go from from kind of the script to, to making your shot list? Well, for me, like I haven't gotten up to a level to where I can have those type of connections to where at least type of staff to where I can communicate that. So it's pretty small because it's essentially, for example, like with Photo Strange Fruit, it was pretty much um, my producer. Shout out to Ryan Bahari. Shout out to uh, Adrian Rutherford, who helped me, guided me actually to all these dis- different sources of information in terms of research uh, regarding uh, Florida's African history. So from there, and then of course, uh, when it comes to you know selecting who you're gonna have for camera, um, shout out to Jorge. He, you, in, in terms of communicating what you want, like uh, on set day, you want to map it out. What we did was we pretty much took a screenshot of how we had our lighting scheme, and so that way on the day of the shoot, we already had that set up. So at that time, you know, I was pretty much, if you want to call it, like wearing all those multiple hats, still focusing as a director and as at the same time playing an interviewer, you know, making sure that you're capturing not only the image that you want, but making sure that the person you're interviewing is engaging in you and it, you're getting the emotion as well as the content that the and the information that they're giving you as you're filming. Right. And and it, you talk, you keep touching on, on great points. Uh, one of the other ones you, you touched on, we've had, you know, NAD on the show. We've had a script supervisor. We've had a makeup and effects. When your audience, when you watch a film, watch a movie, watch a TV show, they don't realize how much is being documented and recorded. Everything from the camera settings, the light settings, the continuity, because you may come back and have to reshoot that in a month or or two months and trying to recreate it. That's on there. And oftentimes I think independent filmmakers with, with a you know, especially small crews, a lot of that gets overlooked. And then, you know, you go watching the final, the final product is your editing. You're like, wow, this lighting's really different. Wow. You know, this, uh, you know, oh, you know, that glass was empty in, you know, a second ago. Now it's full. That's so just a, uh, you know, note to fill to, to the aspiring independent filmmakers out there. The, there's a lot of little things that go into it that are just as important as having a, you know, Alexa Red 6K yeah, camera. because one of the issues that we ran into when we were making Florida Strange Fruit. Oh, and by the way, shout out to Luis Verdasco and um, Luis, Luis uh, Castaneda. Uh, those were my sound, uh, sound designer and colorist. And so what we noticed sound wise was that because I had a lapel for on um, one of our interviewees and uh, there was a bit of a little bit of static. So I had to go to him when we were doing this in post to see like if there's a way to fix it because it was like a one uh, one time deal because he was coming from all the way up from I think past Orlando. So and he made his you know, drive way down here over to Miami. So it was like there wasn't a, a second chance to, or a do over. So we were trying to find a way to fix it in post. Fix it in post. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's not um, how can I put it? If there's a way you can, but you want to try to get everything done right on the set we had an issue where there was one of our uh cameramen sorry with a well there was only one camera person that was jorge and we didn't notice it till earlier and that's and i take responsibility for that so focused on trying to make sure you know time constraint i only have them for this amount of time i only have and then we got to go to do you know a next uh schedule the next interview so on and so forth there was a, a bit of shadow that was reflecting onto the back wall for where we had him interview and so we were trying to find a way to see how we could mask that and luckily um lewis did a wonderful job and you know correcting that error through his visual effects um and he used uh, what you call it davinci which is a color software for anybody who focus on color grading uh davinci is a good tool to use but yeah luckily he was able to you know fix those errors and um made it to what it is yeah you just got you have to look at every you know particular thing because you don't want to have because let's say you've been given a budget i mean luckily like with this one like i was running on pretty much on my own budget i paid out of pocket and the reason why I did that is because it, I guess it was a, a self-process for me, like an initiating process for me. It's like if I'm really invested into it and if you really believe in it, you know, invest in yourself. So when I did that, you know, I made me more keen on the responsibilities and then I get a perspective on if I were able to crowdfund or pitch the project. I got to see it from person who's putting up the money. You know what I mean? Like. 
hey, how much is this going to cost? You know, like, and if you get into over, you know, over budget, you're not, you don't have room to do like any second do-overs or have any second chances and reshoots. Right. And that, what everything you just described, that brings us back to where we started off with. Those are the things that make you a filmmaker. Uh, how much really goes into it? Even for, even for a five to seven minute short film, the amount of work that can go into that and the crews and everything that does. This is great stuff. We're going to keep the conversation going, but first we're going to take another quick break. But before that, we would like to thank two of our partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech, who's been a mainstay of the film industry since 1968, providing equipment, support, and training. And ComTV, who offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment. This is Howard Brand. You're listening to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. back with Miami-based filmmaker Lex Lowry. Lex, you've mentioned culture a couple times, and I don't think people understand really how much that plays in to the creative aspect of filmmaking. Um, you're a black filmmaker. I'm a Jewish filmmaker. There's a uh, pretty well-known in- interview that Denzel Washington did, and they had asked him, they were actually talking about, about color in films, and he said it's not color, it's culture. He used an example that Steven Spielberg made Schindler's List, Martin Scorsese made Goodfellas, you know, two, probably two of the five greatest American films ever made. And he made a point that, you know, Scorsese could have made Schindler's List and Spielberg could have made Goodfellas. They would have been good films, but neither of them know the culture that went into it. So I want to talk about how much, you know, as a black filmmaker, how much does black culture impact you and how much does that really go into your work as as an artist and as a filmmaker? Uh, How it impacts me, because how how would I put this? Like I'm still gaining some, like I'm still learning something new because especially like, you know, the mostly what gets ported and, you know, pushed out is pretty much, you know, the hip hop culture. And like when it comes to music videos, like I just did a music video well, sorry, finished the music video. We're working on a second one. Uh, the first re- music video was uh, Ratcades, and the title of it was, the person who uh, performed it was uh, Lord Bug, who's a North Miami-based uh, rap artist. Shout out to Lord Bug. It's important that, you know, that you have, you know, a proper representation as well as you want to try to clutter any stereotypes that people, you know, perceive, and that, and that using your visual medium really does set the tone. For example, um, if you've seen like Bad Boys 2, like they show just a snippet of where I think Will Smith and Martin Lawrence break into uh, probably a drug house and you have people who are Haitian there. So you get only like a glimpse of that, but you only get a glimpse of it from like a crime aspect. And then like if you were to go to, if you watch What Men Want with uh, Tahaji, uh, Tahaji Henson, there's this always this depiction of this woman who's very, you know, high, strong or hyper or hyper masculine. When really, you know, if you really look at, into it, when you watch the movie, she gets those characteristics because she was raised by her father who taught her to be that. You want to be able to capture culture to where, yes, these are things that do exist, but also show like the other side that also exists. I mean, though, and one of the things uh, you have blackish, like you get to see like a regular American family, other nuances. Like there's this scene for um, I'm trying to remember his name because he was in Romeo, Romeo Must Die. Must Die. Yeah, Jet yeah, Lee. it was a Jet Li. But but in any case, there's a scene where because I know Dion Cole, the comedian's in there, but there's a scene where um, an elevator scene where there's a white little, little white girl and he is getting to the elevator, but he sees the little white girl. He's and that is kind of like a highlight to what, you know, you as a black person are, you know, are kind of conflicted with. Like you want to be able to help find, you know, you know, this little girl's parents. But at the same time, you know, what's the image going to look like if you try to participate? Right. You get me? And that's only right. something and that's something that is like very distinct that people can relate to in those situations. So it's very important to try and capture, you know, certain nuances. Oh, one thing I want to add, and even though it's an older show, it still holds a lot of weight. Like you have, what was it, Living Color? And then you have the Cosby show all living the single? black cosby living single was one living single or was it living color well in living color was the sketch was the sketch show gotcha 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 uh, okay so i missed from the cosby show there was the spinoff lisa bonet's character that went to college can't remember that and i think living single i think that, that came more from the um the martin era gotcha gotcha and then you have also different shows like it used to be on upn you have monique's show 
I'm trying to remember, trying to remember the title, but to spare time on listing titles, going back to Cosby, I would say like that really set a tone for what an American, like you say middle upper class family can be, especially being a black family. Cause we, cause you can go over to the Jeffersons or you can go to like Sanford and Son and you always see they're working with it's like blue collar work. And this one, you see people that are in, you know, white collar, but they're working, working class still. And so that kind of set, that actually set the tone for people to, you know, actually engage and actually want to go to college. You know what I mean? So that, that's the, that's the responsibility that you have, whether it's through BTV or film. You really hold a lot of power to set an image of what people are thinking about towards their future. That's very important. And just, you know, I know this podcast is, isn't about me, but uh, a project I'm, I'm developing where I, where I have a Mexican-American family and I have a, a Jewish-Cuban the family that's on there. And when I'm working with the network that I'm pitching it to, I'm talking about, I'm very conscious that I want to avoid stereotypes, you know, minorities in general, black, uh, Hispanic, Latina, they are often portrayed in blue collar jobs, you know, factory workers, mechanics that's on there. And, and Jewish characters are often portrayed, you know, either an overbearing mother, kind of a nerdy, cheap guy, you know, a, a spoiled princess or, or a doctor or lawyer on that. So, so I'm definitely going against those stereotypes. Like you, you mentioned blackish. I, I, I watched the first episode of, of the Goldbergs and my immediately thought was these aren't characters. These are caricatures. These are just a bunch of stereotypes kind of thrown in, in together, uh, that's out there. And you, you know, you also mentioned about how, you know, in Bad Boys, when, when they're Haitian, one of the sequels. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, yeah. It was Bad Boys too, where there was a scene where like, they were like entering, like breaking into a drug house and it happened, so happened to be the drug dealers were Haitian. Yeah. For entertainment value in terms of breaking in and of course, you know, getting a busting, you know, uh, a rig. You get me? That type of thing. It's one of those things that you have to kind of be, you know, be careful with because you don't want to try to set a, uh, you know, a pres- uh, like a president for there that for that to be an image mm-hmm. or that for people to be associated with. But yeah, it's it's very important. Image is very important. And for me, you know, as an African-American, someone who identifies as black, for me, just be transparent. Like I try to look through, find my identification like through film. Because again, like one thing that I can understand when, you know, growing up was I wasn't, you know, because you have this ideal view that, you know, you know every, we're all one human race, but like immediately when you get, you know, put in certain situations, you kind of know where you stand. You kind of know what position that you're in. So I always try to go through and, you know, find my avenue to what, you know, I can visually identify with and what can, what I can attach myself to. And that's what people usually look for when they watch these certain shows. That's why you have certain platforms that will cater like, and also festivals that cater to like the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. So that way they have something to identify with. Um, even right now with certain uh, animations, oh, so it was a it was a Pixar animation. Like you find the main character is pretty much a jazz player, and you know music is something like music in general in our culture is big because you know you look at any art form that we participated in. Like you have the notice as the Godfather of Soul, uh, James Brown. You have Jimi Hendrix. You know in terms of rock and roll, all these you know fine tuned you know, artists that are really into their crowd. You get a sense like music wise how you can attach like how can you attach yourself. You may see like. Like, like if you're vis- like shooting a concert, or you're watching a biopic and you're getting a sense of who the character is and it may reflect to you not only as someone who's like probably born in their like their home state or their home city, but also seeing somebody who's of your ethnicity mm-hmm. go through those strives and make it or go through, you know, whatever hurdles that they went through. Or if you want to get like a little historical sense, there's this movie called um, Marshall um, with Chadwick uh, Boseman. May he rest God in rest peace. Soul. Yeah, it's pretty much a God backstory on um, Thurgood Marshall, who's pretty much defending. He was a pretty much a, like a helping hand, like a driver to all. Uh, one of the people who uh, a family that he worked for who had an affair with his wife and he gets falsely accused of rape and so now you know he goes on this journey to not only help him but here's the thing he can't he's not allowed to defend him matter of fact when he gets in courtroom the judge immediately tells him that you know he can't speak so he had to go and get approved by sorry not approved but like some sort of representation with a lawyer that's based in that state i think by the last name of friedman what ends up happening is you know he has he has to now lead the lead the case he's the lead representation third good has to play second fiddle and so as he's playing second fiddle he's guiding them how to you know these are the points that we need to you know attack this case you you brought up a couple things you mentioned you mentioned the movie soul about a, a jazz musician and then you know the music 
for that was done by Trent Reznor, who is quite the opposite of a black jazz musician. Yeah. He's he's a white, you know, alternative rocker. I mean, extraordinary talented. You also, you know, you mentioned LGBTQ well, yeah, yeah, yeah. community and, and South Miami or South Florida, I think, has really become a hub for LGBTQ films. I know coming out of MDC, there's a lot. There's a lot of other ones. There's a couple of film festivals down here mm-hmm. that are devoted to that. And it brings up another point. You know, I'm, I'm a straight white male. If I went to make a film about LGBTQ, like, do I not have the credibility to do that? To, to do that? You know, who should we make? It brings up the conversation of should filmmakers stay in their lane, you know, what they know, or as artists, should nothing be off the field? If I came to you and I said, hey, Lex, I have this, this screenplay I want to make. It's about a, a Japanese family comes from Japan and moves, you know, into the city and, you know, they do all these things. Like, would you say, you know, how, how, how would you take that? Well, what I would do is you really want to first want to understand the community first. So you go, whether it's a close friend or somebody that you know as a classmate, you try to you know, understand their world and understand their culture. That's that's the first step because you don't really have that much of a story if you don't understand, you know, what the intricacies, you know, entail. So that's the first step. And if you do want to write a story that's outside of your cultural norm, you want to be able to get some insight from people who are in that cultural space. You get me? Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely a lot. And, you know, then it, then it ties into, you know, a lot of diversity, inclusion and equity in films and you know more more trans characters more more gay characters are coming in and when you talked about dialogue you talk you talk about things being being forced and i think really filmmakers tv producers everyone really across the spectrum are really trying ways to bring different characters in without it looking forced. Like they're just there. I'll use the word token. We can see that a mile, a mile away. It's like, oh, you just made a token Jewish person, just token black person, token gay person. There's this movie that just came out. I'm trying to remember, um, like, I'm trying to remember the the name of the movie, but essentially, like, it, it didn't do as well as the box office as they, like, intended because they were claiming that no one, like, went out to, you know, to view it. Like I said, but... Bros. About the two gay men? Bros? That's what it was called? Bros. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, because what I got from it, because I was watching a podcast, somebody by the name of Hakeem, he's a comedian, Hakeem, with their interview, like, even he as a gay person, like, he recognized that, you know, there was some stuff, like, it was not even, like, token and, like, token, but it's, like, it's just... There was a way of getting across to to audiences without having to be like full fledged right. out there. You get me? Right. And I know whether the producers said, "Oh, you know, people just didn't want to see." Okay. And and to that, you know, Brokeback Mountain is well, that was an amazing a, movie. It, there was a call development me, there. Yeah. You get me? Call, so you, call me by your name. Mm-hmm. Another amazing movie. So it's just um, accepting the fact that maybe it's not any of those reasons. It's just wasn't a good movie. Exactly. <laughs> and because you have yeah Moonlight, which I saw another one, and it's interesting because you see a story along with how you know how you pretty much get to the ending. You know, I don't understand. You know, the only thing that I can gravitate to in terms of when I watched the movie was how this person was mis- was missing a father figure. You know what I mean? And you see the upbringing. Of of his mom being a drug addict. One of the things that's very impactful, like you don't hear it audibly. You don't hear it audibly, but you visually see the mother, you know, use the pejorative at, at him and you have to see how that impacts that child. So there's no like concrete path as to how one makes their own self-discovery by just watching and going through something that you could attach yourself to is this person, you know, being bullied, which is something that uh, the LGBT can relate to, you know, like just for being other than what's conventional. You get me? And the fact that, you know, you're throughout that whole movie, you see his manhood being in question. And then you see him get his first, you know, sexual experience with, you know, who he considered his best friend who's been guiding him through life. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, things are evolving that I think there's gonna be stuff that works, stuff that isn't. We could probably do a, a series of episodes uh, diving into that kind of stuff, but we're gonna take one more break and then we'll be back to finish up this episode. To our listeners, if you enjoy listening to our podcast, please support us by subscribing to the Cinema Pathway Podcast on your favorite podcast platform and then head over to our online store at paradoxicalfilms.com forward slash shop where you can purchase Cinema Pathway gear, including t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. We'll be right back. Hello again to our listeners. We're talking again today with Lex Lowry. Lex, you've done a lot. You're doing a lot. 
Uh, currently, what what's next for you? I'm trying to do a lot, and I can't say that I've done a lot, but I'm um, pretty much getting started. What's next for me? I think I mentioned earlier, it's pretty much starting with uh, Miami Center Poetry. If I didn't mention it, I'm mentioning it now. Um, so it's pretty much uh, poetry through visual storytelling. I, I would like to say that it's a combination of like Def Jam meets I guess you can grab it as film noir in some way. But yeah, because I really want to capture, there's a lot of talent here in Miami within the arts, especially poetry. Probably like one little side of me that, you know, I like to explore is poetry because I've written some, but never really performed up front. But I always enjoy going to spaces like Speak Fridays that they have like every two weeks on a Friday. I'm not sure how well it's doing now, um, like since the pandemic, but I've been able to go into other like poetry potluck spaces to where, you know, I've meet a couple of names, which um, right now I'm in contact with. Uh, we're I'm looking to meet with uh, one of them actually on Tuesday and, you know, just start the process. Another project um, I think I mentioned earlier as well, where's mom uh, right now? It's not a lock script, but in the meantime, as I'm locking it, it already meets the full 15 minute, you know, standard short. Right now, it's just touching up to really, you know, really hone in and get it crisp. So in the meantime, while we're doing that, we're um, looking for grants. And then I think along with that, with uh, Florida Strange Fruit, I think I mentioned earlier as well, um, we're going to expand it to uh, a feature. I think it really has potential. I just came from hosting it at a screening over at Spade Museum. And what really, you know, encouraged me to try and, you know, expand this is the fact that there was, I don't know, you see like a light in people's eyes of, of something that, you know, I didn't know that, you know, this was part of our history. And like, I even like, you know, because you taught, you know, a certain standard American history. So you know, I'm really looking forward into, you know, bringing that and seeing it to fruition. I can say I've been blessed, you can say, and that's probably not sure the right word, but I would say I'm very privileging and you know, experienced to, you know, go down this path and really seeing things, you know, come together and then starting up new things and put it in. Because one of the, my major goals for Miami is to really, I want this to be, or at least try to start a pathway for this to be one of like, uh, like a film hub, pretty much, you know, film and television hub. I mean, we already have like our stations here, like with Telemundo. There's probably some other stations out in, like we have a lot, like a bunch of studios, like Dolphin Studios over in Doral. And then, you know, you have Kachita Studios there, which Rapture, which actually was shot over there. Really putting it out to the forefront because, you know, this really could be, there's a lot of opportunities here that can be created and we as a as a film community could really push those images to the forefront and that's the why I say that you know when it comes to filmmaking it's a responsibility you know we you know have the power through imagery those imageries can really change the ties and how people view you know our city and really you know give and create more opportunities for filmmakers and especially if you're aspiring to be a filmmaker you bring up you know south florida want to be a hub and, and we've touched on some of the business stuff on previous podcasts the challenges miami has because unlike other you know georgia new york california there's no statewide Incentives. So Miami does what they come. Fort Lauderdale, uh, Broward County is really trying to push for that. There's talk again about another, uh, you know, sixty thousand big studio being built to host productions. Uh, most of the people that have been there say, "I'll believe it uh, when I see it." I've been to presentations by you know the Broward County, the new Miami Film Commissioners, and and we've asked them, you know, why not take a regional approach? You know, how about instead of Miami Film Commission and Fort Lauderdale or Broward County Film Commission, why not make it to South Florida? It's wonderful hearing you know your advocacy for making South Florida a hub. And that, that's another thing that this show is really about, not only you know, highlighting the artists and the filmmakers, the people that, that do their crafts down here, but we want people to come. We want people from other parts of the country, come to Miami. It's, it's beautiful. It's sunny. And you know, if it's raining, don't worry, just wait five minutes. It'll go away. And there's, you know, there's more opportunity here. It just takes maybe a little bit more looking at it and uh, working connections down here. So keeping with that, you know, you've had such an interesting journey from school to where you are today. Do you have any advice for either current or aspiring filmmakers? The advice that I would give is don't just watch the films that you like, watch the films that you also don't like because you get to see errors that are made. So that way you can, you know, you always have films that, that don't make it or that aren't, you know, put out obviously, or they receive like a bad tomato. They're awfully scoffed, but you know, like, I'll give an example. Like uh, I watched uh, this movie that was produced, that was done by Disney, um, John Carter. Now it didn't do well in the box office, 
But to me, conceptually, it had a good movie. The only thing it was, it's just its pacing. The pacing for me was like, it wasn't, I don't know, there were some parts that moved too fast and there wasn't enough development of uh, like, at least I would say like villain wise, character wise. And the way it ended, it left you wanting like, was this the end or does it leave you wanting, is it going to be a sequel? Don't just watch the ones that you like and take from those, watch the ones that you don't like. So that way you can see, okay, what was it? Why is it that it didn't do well? Like, like as much as you take notes as the certain, like uh, what happened in act two, sorry, act one, act two, act three, you know, make those notes so that way you can gauge and add that into your own critique when you're writing and constructing your script. So that way you can make it into, you know, the best movie possible. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned John Carter. There's, I have a similar movie that I feel that way about the nice guys with Ryan Gosling, Russell Crowe, written by Shane Black, who's just a master of dialogue. I thought it was amazing. You know, sets up for for a whole series. Didn't make enough money, it won't be made. And, uh, you know, I, I think kind of piggybacking on your message to that, definitely, you know, the Miami area, you know, we have some wonderful, like, smaller theaters, art house theaters, Tower Theater that, uh, you know, MDC, you know, still manages for a couple more months. That's in there. There's the Gables Art Cinema. Take advantage of going to, I, I don't speak a word of Spanish. Um, yet I've seen a handful of Spanish language films. You know, you read the subtitles, but they're so good that you can just, you could follow them. Um, that's on there. So really, you know, I, th- I think broadening your horizons is what I say. Back, back to, to other topics. Watch these films that center around cultures and lifestyles that are different from you to understand them. So in closing, you've mentioned a lot of your projects. Where can our listeners find you? Where can they follow you? Where can they learn more? I think you mentioned that, that there's some crowdfunding you're trying to do out there. So let, what would you like to plug? For now, I'll just plug in my Instagram for people who can follow me because, you know, I will be posting on when um, my uh, launch campaign for uh, the Florida Strange Fruit feature, when that's going to be up and running. So for now, you can just follow me on uh, Instagram at, at Lex uh, Indie Flicks. Again, that's at Lex Indie Flicks. That's L-E-X-I-N-D-I-E-F-L-I-X. In Lex Indie Flicks. And then, you know, aside from your from your projects that you're you're really driving, are there any other projects that you're involved with or things that you, you may be passionate about that you know other filmmakers are working on that our listeners would be interested to hear about? I think I probably mentioned before that there's this uh, documentary. There's an award there they don't have a working title yet. Um, but I think I touched upon where we're acknowledging or actually shedding light on the algae blooms that are helping here in South Florida. Again, the producer's name is Paul McGuire. I'm kind of happy that um, I got a chance to work with and I'm going to be working with like during, uh, I think in a couple of weeks in November. I think that's pretty much it. There's not much, uh, much yet so far. The only thing is for me is just building up my own, uh, we call it like a filmography, if that's even a word, as even a term, like just building up my own portfolio. That's what I'm really focused on, right? now and as i go on to like when i get called for certain gigs you know working as a production assistant because i like learning you know just seeing like how one how each different department or each different uh film company like how they what's their process fuels their engine i try to see okay how can i apply it for when you know i make and create my films are there opportunities for production assistants down here where do you find those opportunities do people reach out to you or do you search them it's usually referral and you can actually use um there's this website backstage there's another website that i use staff me up staff me up i use that i use that that's probably where you can start they do have a subscription program that you can use and correction backstage is actually something that you mainly use for um for actors it's another important topic just to touch on, especially you know in this area, independent films, a lot of low budget or no budget film that seek out opportunity for yourself, but also be aware that you may you may work for free at the beginning. So definitely take it as a learning experience, and and you have to know yourself. You know, yes, I could work as a PA for this on three days for free, but I can't do it for a month. That's on there. So again, if you want to get, you know, get your foot in the door in this industry, you know, really how, however you can, especially in this area. Yeah. Man. And build, build relationships. You know, that's how, that's how you get those calls. You know what I mean? And especially, and just, you know, put, put in your fourth maximum effort and, you know, that increases your likelihood of getting called, you know, again, to work on, you know, more projects. That's how I got onto being PA on Rapture. That's how I got into being PA on uh, Real Housewives, uh, Ready to Love. And I'm thankful for those opportunities because it really opened my eyes to more as to how I can better hone my craft and know how, you know, what it really takes to put all the pieces together from every, you know, department area. So that way, you know, you can make 
again, the best project possible. Yeah. And I, t- I tell, especially uh, like people that are going to be PAs or really if anything, life, if you keep your eyes and ears open, your mouth shut, use common sense, usually that'll get you 90% of the way there when, when it comes to anything. So Lex, this has been great. We've really enjoyed having on you. I think you've really inspired a lot of listeners. You've had a great journey. You're really, you're grinding you know, you're passionate. You are, you know, I think the embodiment of a filmmaker, especially, you know, the advocacy for South Florida. We need more young filmmakers that want to commit that they're not looking to use things as a stepping stone to Hollywood or Atlanta or New York. So we uh, we definitely th- thank you for being here and we wish you the best. And thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I really do appreciate, you know, if there's any time where I get to use, you know, my voice in some small token that can at least help you know another person who are inspiring to be in film you know it it, that that just goes a long way because you have like i have people like garrett that were in account worked in accounting people like uh, michael wiggs who's based in atlanta who is our apoc on rap shit and there's a bunch of names you have craig um letterman you have you you obviously see that my that me and remembering names ain't ain't, you know up to par but i know when i see you i know your face and that really gears me to remembering your name i i just gotta give thanks to people like oh uh shout out to randy this has been a good podcast and again thank you and Uh, It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure being on here. All the best. To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema Pathway podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Mike Maloney. Our producer is Juliette Desan, along with associate producer Victor Ferreira and executive producer Freddie R. Rodriguez. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website at www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at cinemapathway.com at paradoxicalfilms.com where you can send any comments, suggestions, or feedback for future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Join us for our next episode where our guest will be the very funny and talented comedian Dean Tarantino Gonzalez. Lights out.